everyone, Lessons and Lattes. I think we're up to episode 11 now. Super excited. I have Doug here today, and we are going to be talking about some of the beginning of the year routines and rituals, maybe what you can do and what should be thrown out the door as far as you can check it. But I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. Hi, uh, my name is Doug Robertson. Um, if you know me online, then you know me as the weird teacher, probably. That's who I am on uh, the Twitters and the Instagrams. And, and my blog is The Weird Teacher. And my first book is The Weird Teacher. So he's The Weird Teacher. So that's probably what everybody knows me as, um, who exists on the interwebs. Um, as for me, I'm a fourth grade teacher. Uh, I've been a fourth grade teacher for, I guess, technically just a year. Uh, recently, but this is this it'll be my 14th year of teaching, and I've taught everywhere from third all the way up through sixth, and everywhere from Southern California to Hawaii to Southern Oregon, and right now I'm up in Northern Oregon, up near Portland, and I love it up here. And I teach fourth grade. So congratulations, that is quite a long career. But I know myself and maybe some of the listeners out there are dying to know where did the tagline "the weird teacher" come from. Sounds like I made it up, but I mean, um, I always think of a movie that people don't think of anymore, Rocky, the first Rocky, because um, somebody asked him, how come you're the Italian stallion? And he's like, well, I just eat dinner one day, and I'm the Italian stallion, that sounds really good. That's my Sylvester Stallone. Um, and so it sounds like I just made up the word teacher, but it didn't. I was in the middle of writing my first book, He's the Weird Teacher, and I didn't have a title or anything. And I was also teaching in Hawaii, and I was teaching, I think, fifth grade at the time. And I was walking down the hall in school, and these two kindergartners were sitting outside of their classroom, and they're kindergartners. I teach fifth grade, so there's no reason for these children to know who I am other than I am noisy at assembly. Sometimes I'm one of the people who gets a talk at assemblies. And I walk by them, and I hear one of them lean over the other one and go, he's the weird teacher. And I was like, that's amazing. That makes my week that you little people know who I am. Um, and that's how you think of me. And I'm going to steal uh, He's the Weird Teacher because, and use it for a title because you're five and you can't sue me for it. <laughs> I love it. I know that um, I love your um, perspective on Twitter and it totally fits. Like you are one that I can definitely say goes against the grain. Um, and just the way you go about it, you have that like little twist of humor, which is so important, I think, in teaching and in the profession. But I really am interested. I know this is not a place really to promote books, but what is your book about? <laughs> um, the first book, He's the Weird Teacher, is like a teaching philosophy kind of book. It's, it's, it's how I think about teaching the ways I look at teaching. Um, it's not going to teach you how to teach fractions that are better people. Um, better books to read for that. That's not my gig. Um, but it's it's not so much motivational because there's a lot of those. Um, but it is maybe inspirational and and it, it feels like um, in retrospect a permission slip to a lot of people to be more themselves in their classroom. And when I wrote it, that was not my intention. I I, I like putting this out there. I wrote it before there was this glut of of teaching books that are kind of out there right now and I'm not 
making fun of that. If somebody has a story to tell, they should get out there and tell it. Um, the only people who are going to spread good messages about educators are teachers. So if you're a teacher, you want to write a book, write a book. Um, but this came out kind of before all of those, or at least before I was aware of all of those. Um, and so, and the reason I wrote it was was because I had had a student teacher the year before, and or that year, um, the way Hawaii works is kind of weird with student teachers. So I had had her the year before, and then she came back. Um, and with a student teacher, I was very curious to see like, does all of the stuff that works in my classroom for me work for her? Like, does this all? translator or, or does this only work because of the way i do it and she was very successful as a student teacher in my class mm -hmm. and she ended up um when i moved away from hawaii she took my job like she oh, was wow. in the classroom that i that we worked together in, and then she learned um how to be a teacher from me and so that's very cool and that kind of gave me the confidence to think like oh i do have something to contribute to the profession so that that's what the first book is about is, is that okay that sounds awesome like i know there are like a million teacher books out there but i do like the idea behind the permission slip or permission to be you because i think there's at times so many pressures um to have this or do that or be like this and just like being you is unique and genuine and i think the kids really do appreciate that I hope so, because I hope that they, I, thank you, um, and I hope that they see that, like, I'm not trying to be cool, I'm not even really trying to be their quote-unquote friend, right, that's not, that's not our gig, that's not what we do, I'm, I'm here to teach, my first job is to teach you, that you leave my classroom with more knowledge and skills and abilities than you came to me with. That's but <laughs> I, if you don't do that your own way, you're, it's 180 days, man. It's a long time. You have to be yourself. Like, you can't teach like someone else or, or like someone else's acronym. You, you have to teach like you. And that's kind of the, the, the whole idea between um, of a lot of what I do and a lot of what I talk about on Twitter can really be boiled down to like, who is you and how can you be you as a teacher? Because like I'm goofy and I'm loud and I'm standing on desks and I have puppets and I'm singing songs and not even songs about teaching. Just do you have that thing where like somebody says something that for some reason connects to a lyric that lives in your brain forever and then you are compelled to sing like the next verse and a half of that song. Am I the only person who does that? No, you are totally not. And I can honestly say that this sadly happened with Baby Shark in my summer school class. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can totally visualize like how this happens. So and it wasn't so just like me. Me in the classroom, but I don't expect you to do that. Or because maybe you are quite you're an introvert you look at the mess of cardboard and stuff that eats my classroom you're like this is awful and i can't handle this and that does not make you a bad teacher it just makes you a different teacher which is fine so part of my whole thing is, is like when people say great teachers do x i feel like that needs to be like four asterisks like but 
spaces and I'm making everything as, as clear as possible because I hate the oversimplification of education. <laughs> That was a whole lot just then. That was. And I'm kind of like digesting it and thinking about it and also laughing in my brain because of the baby shark thing because that just like totally traumatized me on some level. Um, <laughs> and I swear, like I tell uh, my family every day, I'm like, you know what? I'm in the wrong profession. I really should have just figured out how to write a catchy song with like some vowel sounds and a like repetitive phrase over and over again, we could have been rich and famous, but <laughs> that totally didn't happen. But I'm um, kind of getting back to education and um, school and just, you know, going back to school and all those fun hats that we have to wear and those policies that we have to implement. And um, I know one circulating on social media recently was the bathroom policy or a bathroom policy or a version of a bathroom policy. Um, what is kind of your philosophy or methodology to starting um, back to school? And do you have any tips and tricks for our teachers out there? Those are good questions. Um, I, I don't think I know what the bathroom policy thing is. I think I missed that conversation. How could you miss it? No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I know, right? I'm terrible. And, you know, it could be because I'm in high school, so it applies a little bit more to me that I kind of latched onto that. But um, the basic idea behind the bathroom policy that was circulated was this limitation of bathrooms, Um, like four bathrooms per quarter or five bathrooms per. I don't even remember what the time frame was, but there was like a significant limitation on it. um, And a lot of the dialogue back and forth was basically, you know, we're human beings. We can't regulate the bell bladder functions um, there shouldn't be a limit and then kind of back and forth on that. I know I've been in classrooms where there has been an administrative dictate to limit the bathroom. Um, but I've also been in classrooms um, where it's just kind of been like you sign out, you come back like you are a mini adult. So Probably more of a high school thing, but it is something that's being talked about right now. That, that, that just think about that makes my stomach hurt. Like, uh, I don't like that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, and I think this is going to come back with, with the stuff that we're going to talk about uh, with how I start my school year. But like, if you, you need to default to trust. I feel like you default to, like you said, you are a human person and I can trust you no matter what grade you teach, because I have fourth graders, and, and that's where we start from, is, is you're a human person, and I trust you. And, and like, just for our bathroom policy, the kids need to have a pass, mm-hmm. so that some limit or whoever knows that they're in the hall for a reason. But that's, at least in my class, basically the extent of it, except for, I'm not letting more than like two kids out of the room at a time and that's just the management thing so i can keep track of where all of my kids are like but if you need to go like go i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna stop i don't want to have that conversation with the parents oh my god um that sounds terrible just on a purely administrative level yeah so (laughs) you want your kids to be comfortable like that's that should be like thing one in the classroom is I want you to be comfortable and if you have to be you are not comfortable no. <laughs> you are no longer learning because you are thinking about one thing 
Exactly. So uh, that's, I mean, you know, as you know, I'm writing my syllabus and stuff, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking, and I'm not one, I don't, my back to school is a lot more laid back, I think, than my colleagues like. I don't hammer in the rules day one. I'm just not. Um, for me, it's about building trust and rapport with my kids, especially in the special ed room. And because of the fact that I am going to be the one in charge of helping them manage their IEPs uh, and learning about them, knowing about them is huge so that when there is an issue, they feel like they can come to me. And I know it's a little bit different in elementary school, but I would definitely be interested in hearing how you start your year off. Really instructive for me. I get to see how they handle failure immediately. And they get to 
you stop buying us. They get to see that you will fail in this class. And what has happened now that you have failed? Nothing. We're going to talk about it. And later in the year, I'm going to give you more spaghetti and marshmallows. And you're going to try this again. And we're going to see what you've learned. So, like, I'm kind of setting all of these expectations right up front without verbally saying these are the things that will be happening this year. Right. Doing it, which, which I personally find very valuable. And then later we'll talk about it. Like I said, like, they're nine. So you can't expect them to get the deeper meaning in everything, especially not the first day of fourth grade because they're still third graders. Everybody really have to talk through it. But that's like one of the very, very, very first things that we do. And I, I like it a lot. It's fun and it gets them talking to each other and they immediately know each other. It's an icebreaker without being an awful icebreaker. Or you have to go with a piece of paper and go talk to someone else, like about some ridiculous. Like, do you speak what, like two different languages? I think was one. Or have you ever been here? That really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of their lives. Right. I do. I do sometimes do that for the, the bingo thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, go around. But that's like later. And that's and that's that's a conversation too. Who has traveled to three different states? Well, tell me about it. You know, and then. Or, or who's traveled to a different country? I've been to Colorado. Okay, that tells me something about you. <laughs> but like, the, like when they walk through the door, I feel like it's kind of like deer in the headlights type thing. Um, to have to do the paper. I mean, personally, at least with my kids, I found that it's really not a super great like first day of school activity. I completely agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't normally do it on the first day, but yeah, you know, you can't want to start with paper. huge to remember as we're planning these activities or interactions is when these kids there is a potential that a good core group of them have been together for a really long time and also just kind of going back to um I love how you don't create a seating chart and it was I'm thinking in my mind like you know, you actually learn a lot about the kids as well, like who they sit next to, who they link up with, who they don't link up with initially. But I also had a, an interesting experience where two friends wanted to work together, wanted to work together. Um, and I put the ownership back on them. I said, you know what? Go ahead. This is the expectation. If you think that you can create this game board, then go right ahead. And then they looked at each other and were like, we're not good partners like that. We want to be friends. <laughs> and I'm like, the life lesson there, don't work with your friends. <laughs> so I think, go ahead, sorry. No, I love it when they're not mature and they make those kinds of choices. It's really interesting. It's like, um, I didn't have this experience, but I know people who did like, when you go to college with your best friend and you and your best friend become roommates and very quickly you and your best friend are no longer best friends. Yes. Like it's kind of, you kind of get 
Exactly. <laughs> they, uh, and I think that when they, when the kids can take ownership of that and decide like, oh, wait, no, my friendship is more important. Uh, and even their inclusivity, I think I said that word right, <laughs> is really heartwarming. Um, I had a situation where two girls were working together. There was a girl by herself and they asked her to come join their group. And then they made her a part of the group, even though they never really interacted outside of the class, but they made her feel a part and contributed and all of that. So I would like those skills um, are always great as teachers to see them come out in our students. But I, I don't believe that they can come out as well with the rigidity of a seating chart or a lot of expectations laid on them. I completely, yeah, you've got to give them a chance to show that on their own. And then they own it more. And they're not doing it because you told them to. A lot of times, my, my kids, my little, because they're, they're fourth graders, so they're still tiny. Um, not that high schoolers aren't far. They have like, their moments. <laughs> we'll say that. But like, when we get a new student, like, you know, in the middle of the year, I often have to tell my kids not Please make sure that you play with this child at recess. But I have to tell them, please do not attack this child with friendship. Interesting. You, and if all of you go up to him at the same time, you're going to freak him out. So let just a couple. All right, let's. Everybody can hang out, but like, don't attack him with friendliness quite yet, because you're going to scare him off. <laughs> And he might not want to come back to my class. Uh, I love how you say that. Like, I never thought about that. You can't think about your brand new. Because all these people are saying brand new. At some point, that is too much stimulus. And I love how you phrase it, too. Like, don't attack him with friendship. Um, that's a great, like, kind of little catchphrase there um, to keep in the toolbox, of course. And I know you have littles, and I know that you can't exactly say that to high school, but <laughs> I do love that phrase. I'm just, like, cracking up here over that. You did mention uh, that you had a second book coming out. Is it also about being as um, true to yourself, or does it have a little bit different spin on it? Um, I, I, I have four books right now. Oh, my gosh. I have a new one coming
inspired your welcome. So that's I love it. I'm like processing it, but I love that idea. I love the fact again that you're bringing humor into it. And, and for, like there's some people on 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 in, in the education circles that kind of because none of them will say like I'm a great teacher. That's just not something that we say, right? But you get that impression from certain keynotes mm-hmm. or the ways certain people proselytize on, on Twitter that like that's that's the subtext of everything that they're saying. Because if we do what they say, we will be amazing because they are amazing. So this book is just like straight out saying that. But hopefully, you know, it, I think it's really funny. It makes me laugh that I wrote it. Um, the first sentence of the book is the three greatest teachers who ever existed are Socrates, Yoda, and me. <laughs> I love it. I love Yoda. So <laughs> I love it. That's the teaching text you're welcome. Um, and then, because Ben cannot live my education writing alone, I needed a break. I wrote a novel um, called The Unforgiving Road that's a post apocalyptic motorcycle gang uh, fantasy adventure story. Okay. That. Um, and that's really hard to sell because when you're feeding people, like, I write about education, I blog about education, everything you know me and the music you follow me and read because I write about education. By the way, here's a book that has nothing to do with that will you please also read this like that's a hard sell right um <laughs> talk to good people I, it's good i promise it's good um and then i just my most recent book is called um, a classroom of one and that's because my my one of my big soapboxes for education is, is student teaching and mentor teaching i deeply deeply believe that the most beneficial thing you can do as a teacher the best professional development you can ever have, the best thing you can do for the profession is to take a student teacher. Nothing makes you more reflective. Nothing makes you think about what you're doing and why. Then having somebody who is going to be a teacher standing next to you the whole time, like looking at you and waiting for you to explain to them why you just did whatever it is that you just did. So the the um, a classroom. <clears throat> so a classroom of one is written specifically for mentor teachers and student teachers because quite often when you are a mentor teacher, you are given a student teacher by a university. They might give you like a little packet of information, but there's no class on how to be a mentor teacher. There's no instruction book on how to do this well. You're just like, here's a new person that wants to learn how to teach, have fun. Uh, and student teachers kind of have the same gig. Like they're told by their mentor that by their colleges certain things about student teaching. But like being tossed into somebody's room is this I don't know if you remember yours, but like it's this scary thing and I don't like what kind of control do I what kind of power do I have? What can I do? And so this book, because I wanted to narrow my audience as, as small as possible, so as few as people as possible are able to buy these books, um, is written specifically for mentor teachers and student teachers and how you you can work together. Ideally, like if you have a student teacher, you buy two copies, one for you and one for your student teacher, you talk about it, you, you use the book to figure out how to have a really good year together. Um, because I feel the main goal of this of a, a mentor teacher 
teacher at the end of the school year needs to be able to walk into their own room on the first day of the next year ready to teach <laughs> and not panic any more than they absolutely have to because you can have the best mentor teacher in the world and you're still going to walk in your first day without a net like, oh my God. <laughs> but hopefully you feel much more confident. And so that's that's the point of, of, of a classroom of one. Nice. Oh no, I, I kind of elicited the information, so don't worry there. Uh, we have actually been talking for almost 30 minutes now, which you have shared some great information. So in the last like 30 seconds, is there one kind of sound bite for our listeners that you have um, on anything we talked about or teaching in general? Oh my gosh, the sound Thank you for that beautiful sentiment and soundbite. I know I put you on the spot, but I um, think it really was beautiful and a great mindset as we start our year. And just thank you again for being here tonight. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Time for the latte part of Lessons and Lattes. Lots of great information to digest tonight or this morning, I guess you would say. Today, I am sharing with you the hot vanilla caramel latte recipe. It's a do-it-yourself. Um, so you need one cup of milk, a half a cup of espresso, and just vanilla caramel coffee creamer to taste. So as you can imagine, you're going to brew the espresso, steam the milk, and add the steamed milk to the brewed espresso. Then you're going to add the creamer and enjoy. Total prep time, five minutes. And it is a good coffee recipe. It's It can even be better than Starbucks. Um, and one of my favorites to share with you.